Brothers and sisters, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We begin this morning with uh, our opening prayer. So will you pray with me? God our Father, whose blessed Son Jesus is the good shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice that we may know him who calls us by his name and follow where he leads till we reach your kingdom in glory, that kingdom we seek every time we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So for our scripture reading this morning, I'm going to change it up just a little bit, and I'm going to read you the psalm text now instead of the lectionary text, and then we'll read the lectionary during the message. So just a little little switch, but this section that I'll be reading is Psalm 92, and it's the next one that comes up in our series. And it's listed a psalm, a song for the Sabbath. And the psalmist writes, It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. How great are your works, O Lord, how thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know, the fool cannot understand this, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, They are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of my evil assailants. The righteous flourish like the palm tree. And grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. We come to our pastoral prayer, and as always, I Since I can't be right there with you, uh, I know you have prayer concerns, I have prayer concerns, and so we're going to take this opportunity uh, to pray for each other, to pray for those concerns that we have, and to pray for this nation and for the world. So will you join me uh, in prayer to the Father? God, our Father, we're so grateful to be able to come into your presence today knowing how much you love us and and how eagerly you desire to hear from us. We thank you, Father, for all the prayers that have been answered this week and for every evidence of your grace and for your love. Thank you, Lord, for this fellowship of believers gathered here, and we thank you for the freedom to meet and for the opportunity to worship. And, Father, we thank you, too, that you always hear our needs, and so especially today we lift up before you those needs that are on our hearts and minds. We bring them to you, Father, in the 
the silence of our hearts and ask you to reach out uh, and touch each of those according to your will. Fill all those ones that we have prayed for with your patience and with joy in your presence as they await your healing touch. Father, we have our own personal needs, so we pray not just for others, we pray for our own personal needs. Touch each of us with your comfort and heal all of our wounds today, Lord, whether they be physical or emotional or spiritual. If there's a sin in us that needs to be confessed and forgiven, please help us to recognize it and to confess it. Father, we thank you today, too, for all the faithful tithes and offerings that your people bring. We ask you to receive those gifts by your grace, multiply them, and use them to accomplish your work on earth. Lord, we ask you to continue to bless and protect all in authority over us, as well as all who so faithfully serve and protect us. And grant your people, Lord, peace in this world and a sure and certain hope of heaven in the next. And we pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. So now that, uh, now that we're at, all at home together and, and have extra time to focus on family meals, I really would kind of like to start having our Friday night fire pit nights again. Uh, and we used to do it quite a, a bit when we first moved into the house, and when we do, I usually go out in the backyard just before dark to set the fire pit up just right so that within an hour or so, uh, when the sun has completely gone down, that the, the wood that's arranged will burn down to these, these bright orange coals that we can cook on, and I, I love to do that. And we've made all, all kinds of meals out there, from hot dogs to roasted marshmallows to steak and chicken. We've even had uh, a couple wood-fired pizzas. And there's just something special about sitting around the warm glow of a fire, sharing a meal with people that you care about that feels like home. There's a kind of a magic in the smell of the wood smoke that brings back memories of days gone by. There's a camaraderie that you share in an open-air meal that just can't be replicated by any other dining experience, and it just seems to bring people closer together. And I think the Lord must have thought so too, as you're going to see today, in another occasion that Jesus appears to the disciples, uh, seven of them this time, but not in Jerusalem as on the previous two occasions, but back up in Galilee, the hometown for some of the disciples. And, and Jesus appears to them unexpectedly while they're out on the lake fishing, and, and he's standing on the shore, standing by a, a pit of glowing charcoal that he had made, inviting them, inviting his men to come to him, to come in and, and share a meal uh, and so I invite you to follow uh, along with me as we see Jesus' uh, call to breakfast by the campfire. And we're going to be reading from Luke, I'm sorry, rather John, chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. John tells us later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. And so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, Fellas, have you caught anything? And no, they replied. And then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. And so they did. 
And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer tunic and jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net into shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore, and there were 153 fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had risen from the dead. You know, when I, when I read that, you, you may be thinking by now, Pastor, what in, what in the world does that have to do with Psalm 92 today? And what possible connection could all of that have to my life this week? Well, I have to say, in my opinion, those two texts are a great example, again, of the connectedness of all of Scripture and really a practical example of following God's intention for His people whether they were the, the Jews of the Exodus or we 21st century Gentiles to, uh, as Deuteronomy 6.6 6 tells us, to let the word of the Lord that he commands us be on our hearts and that we should talk about it when we sit in the house and when we walk by the way and when we lie down and when we rise up so that by keeping all his decrees and commands that you and I might enjoy a long life. And in our psalm today in in our lectionary text today, that command from Deuteronomy is really lived out and exemplified for us in the ordinary, everyday action of sitting together with the people that we love, whether it's in the house or at a campfire or around a common meal, in a comfortable setting, discussing the covenant promises and close communion that God desires to have with His children. Uh, and now, admittedly, the, the subject of our physical nourishment, the way we think of it today, is not really directly mentioned in the Bible. I mean, that is, the, the Bible doesn't talk about calorie count and the balance of fat and proteins and carbohydrates that a person needs, but it does have a lot to say about our need to eat. And so today we find the disciples are back home in Galilee for really just that purpose. Because, you know, up till now they had their meals provided for them, either by the towns and villages where they stayed and taught or by the patrons that had supported Jesus' ministry. But now that most everyone believed Jesus to be dead and the religious and civil authorities kind of had a target on the disciples' backs, that all changed. And so while the disciples are kind of biding their time, waiting around for further instructions from the Lord that they knew had been risen, but waiting for instructions about what they were to do with the rest of their lives... They go back to doing what they know best, and, and that's to put food on the table, which for them is to go back, at least temporarily, to their previous line of work. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. Uh, and when he says that, he doesn't mean just sitting in a boat for a couple of hours with a rod and reel and drinking beer with his buddies. No, when Peter and, and the boys go fishing, they go fishing. They, they haul out the net. Right? They're commercial fishermen, remember. They get in a boat, one evidently big enough for the seven of them, and, and they're out all night plying their trade in these 
very familiar waters that they knew like the back of their hand, but they worked all night and, and they didn't catch anything. Some nights are, are like that, I suppose, in the fishing business. And they're tired and they're disappointed and they're frustrated, I'm sure, but by now it's dawn and they look up and, and some guy is standing on the shore looking out at them, but they can't really make out who it is because they're, they're on the lake and, and he's about a football field or so away on the shore. And the figure on the, the beach calls out across the water, Fellas, did you catch any fish? And they yell back, no. The man on the beach says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And right now they're, they're probably thinking, are, are you kidding me? Uh, we've just worked all night using all of our, our skill and all of our know-how and we've come up empty. Hey, we're, we're pros at this, buddy. Who does that guy think he is anyway? But whether it was something in the, the fellow's voice or, or just out of a what-could-it-hurt desperation, they, they give in and give it one last try before packing in for the day, and they cast the nets where he says, and instantly, instantly, they got a net full of fish. I mean, a whole bunch. Uh, and this big catch made such an impression on the fishermen that John, uh, our eyewitness to, to this event with an eye for details, even records the number of fish here in his gospel, 153 of them, to be exact, without a single tear in the net. Uh, and lots of commentators have disagreed about the, the number and the reason for the number being recorded, but in my opinion, I think it's, it's emphasized here with such importance to testify to, to the power of Jesus to hold on to what he catches. Because you see, if we've truly accepted God's offer of salvation in His Son, we won't ever be that fish that got away. Because His covenant promises are a, a net that can't tear. They're a, they're a lifeline that won't break. And, and not only that, but I, I think it's also a symbol of the great number of souls that our Lord intends and predestines to save. And also the spiritual abundance that Christ intends to feed His people with. Uh, so much so that when the, the disciples get on shore and they see Jesus there by the glow of the charcoal fire, uh, even though he told them to bring some fish over, he didn't need their fish, did he? No, we, we read he'd already had some of his own fish cooking on the fire along with some fresh-baked bread. And he invites them to eat. He invites them to eat just like God has done for his people right from the very beginning. And as Jesus had done all throughout his ministry, whether it was the, the feast of the, the Passover or the feeding of the 5,000, whether it was the Lord's Last Supper or manna in the wilderness or, or the lifelong nourishment that we read about in Psalm 92, where God promises that his life-sustaining work of salvation on our behalf will cause, as verse 12 that we read said, will cause the righteous to flourish like the palm trees planted in the house of the Lord the trees that still bear fruit in old age. And I think it's such a beautiful picture of, of senior saints that truly know the Lord. Because you know that palm tree that the psalmist writes about here is not the, the tall and really useless and strictly ornamental trees that we have around here. No, he's talking about a food-producing tree. He's talking about the food-producing kind of palm. 
because the imagery here in the mind of the biblical writer is the date palm. One of the, actually the few native trees to the Holy Land that continue to bear succulent, nourishing fruit for its entire life. And according to one source, at least a single tree of that species in Israel can produce up to 600 pounds of fruit in one single growing season. And that the older the tree gets, the sweeter the fruit becomes. And so this type of palm tree is laid out here as a symbol that our later years can be, uh, if they're employed in the worship and service of God, they can be the best years. And also it's a symbol in the, the promise that as believers, we can still bear fruit in God's kingdom for our whole lives long. And that that is God's desire for all of us as we walk before him and come to know him through the study of his word where he's promised that we will receive all that we need to be nourished, to grow, to be productive as we're continually fed the message of the gospel. And for our seven disciples in the boat this morning, that idea of being fed by the Lord both physically and spiritually would have had all kinds of memory bells going off in their heads, all kinds of deja vu Peter especially making him think all the way back to the first time he met Jesus while on another fishing expedition about three years earlier I just had been an ordinary day so he thought just an ordinary day for him going about his daily grind to feed his family but which before it ended changed his life forever and, and Luke chapter 5 records that for us One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, the great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. To notice two empty boats at the water's edge where the fishermen had left them and where they were washing their nets. And so stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if, if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, uh, as, as were all the others with him. And his partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Left everything and followed him all the way to this moment that we've been reading about in our lectionary text, all the way to this seaside breakfast by the charcoal campfire. But, you know, a, a whole lot of stuff had happened in the days and months in between those two events, hadn't it? Especially recently. Especially like Peter denying our Lord, denying him three times as, as he huddled near a Roman guard's fire pit on that Passover night not so very long ago. The night where he and the disciples had 
shared the Seder meal with all of its symbols of that sacred supper that had been handed down from God to Moses as a tool. A tool to teach future generations about their deliverance through the, the medium of food and family. Remembering their redemption with all of their senses. With the sight of the table laid out before them. Smell of the fresh bread and the taste of the wine. Maybe the touch of a friendly hand as the elements are passed. And, and the sound of, of the familiar story of redemption retold. And this is also where our Lord instituted a new feast, a, a feast to celebrate our spiritual liberation from the slavery to the bonds of sin and death, a meal that had so profoundly impacted Peter that first communion night that he proudly swore that even if all the others at the table with him should desert the master, he would never do anything like that. So... With all of that in mind, all those events that took place, now here, here he is again on the other side of all that had happened, looking face to face with the Lord that he had disowned. And the connection here becomes even more clear with what happened next because it, if you think about it, three times Peter had denied Jesus by the light of that Roman fire pit and now three times Jesus will call the warmth of Peter's devotion for him into question by that campfire on the shore. And our lectionary text from John today continues. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord Peter replied, you know I love you. And then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Pretty dramatic encounter, right? And you know, as I said, a lot of things have happened in between all of those experiences for Peter and for all of those disciples really in between their times with Jesus on the road and, and their meeting with him now, in between their former lives and the reality that they were living in now, in between Peter's denial of Jesus by that Roman coal fire in the courtyard and the campfire that Jesus offered him here on the shore, all those things that happened between Peter's cowardice and now his restored commission to feed the flocks of God. And in fact, if you really think about all of that and in that space of time between all of those experiences, the Lord himself has actually become our in-between. He became the man in the middle on that middle cross, the ultimate mediator, making peace between God and sinful humanity by his holy blood shed for us, shed to purchase Peter's forgiveness and, and yours and mine, and calling all of us to come back, to come back to a loving Savior who is waiting to forgive us and, and free us and as our psalm text today says waiting to feed us so that we can just like peter be used by the master to feed others so have you and are you right have you have you been truly fed by the word and filled with the holy spirit and have you been made willing to share all of that on to others or do you just kind of realize that you really haven't 
Because brothers and sisters, if there's anything this coronavirus and quarantine and church closings have, have taught us, if they've taught us anything at all, it's that we've got to get serious about our faith. We've got to stop playing church and pretending we're Christians and, and ask ourselves if we've been genuinely converted. Ask ourselves, do we, as, as Psalm 92 enjoins today, do we declare God's steadfast love in the morning and His faithfulness by night? Has His work of salvation made your heart glad and, and my heart glad? Or are you and I, and, and this is not my words, but God's word in our psalm text today, are, are you and I the, the stupid one who cannot know and the fool who can't understand this? And I don't say that to hurt anyone because Lord knows I know that applies equally to me, but you know, just as we're ready to receive all the good things that God wants us to feast on, we also have to hear his heartfelt warning to us today from Psalm 92, especially in verse 7, that though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. Now, does that mean that we're never going to make a mistake? Does that mean we're all going to behave perfectly all the time? Of course not. Of course not, but what it does mean is that like Peter, the Lord wants to question us about the genuineness of our faith and to have us never take it for granted. Because as Ephesians 2.8 proclaims, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You see, we can't boast because genuine conversion is supernatural and it produces a change in us. A change that, that God brings about. A genuine change that, that causes us to hate the sin that we once loved and to love the law of God that we once hated and, and that makes us eager to share with everyone we meet all the good things that we have been fed. And no, it, it doesn't mean that we get a free pass on life's pain and, and pressures, but it does mean that you and I get to get real about a relationship with God. A relationship that keeps us, like Psalm 92 promises, spiritually young and green, even in old age, and, and fully able to bear all the fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Bear all those fruits, just like that palm tree, and, and do it all for Jesus' sake. Same Jesus who constantly reminded us that a tree is known by its fruit. And I think the, the thread that really pulls all of this together here, and I'll close with this, is, is really knowing who you are and whose you are. You know, I, I can't really know for you. Your friends can't fully know. The people sitting around the breakfast table with you may have a, a good guess, but, you know, only God sees your heart. So only you and he knows. Only you two know if the life and ministry of Jesus has transformed you like it did for Peter. Only you two know if his saving work makes you want to sing for joy on the Sabbath like Psalm 92 says or, or maybe if it just finds you just as happy to sit at home. Only you two know whether you've been anointed with the fresh oil of the Holy Spirit or if you're still holding on to your worldly ideas and favorite sins. Uh, brothers and sisters, the truth is only you and Jesus really know and so as we come to the table today, if, if you're not sure of your place, or, or worse yet, if you know you don't really have a place 
at the Lord's table. Now's the time to do something about it. Now is the time, and I, I declare to you in His name, repent and believe the good news of Christ's death and resurrection for you. Receive the good news of the gospel today and be saved. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for all that you promised to feed us. We thank you for all the provision that you make for us even when we stray away from you, even when we don't recognize you. And so, Lord, we just want to come before you as we get near to your table today, thanking you for all that you do for us, asking you to continue to love and forgive us, and trusting ourselves not to our own merits, but completely to the merits and the mercy of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's confess together what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Brothers and sisters, receive the Lord's benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord God lift up the light of his countenance and give you peace. Brothers and sisters, the service is over. Go out this week to love and serve the Lord.